Fight good. Come on, Brent. Life good. Got real close. Got hair high, right? Try and hit two thirds. Have they saved it for her? Yes, they have. Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham Scott, alongside, as always, hello, Scott. Sean, oh my God, we've we've made it. I know. So uh, this is take two for this podcast. We had already recorded it. But my tablet, which I use to record uh, not only this podcast, but the other two podcasts that I do uh, for history stuff, which is what I get paid to do, uh, the, the tablet decided to blow up. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a tough go. But on the plus side, we've got two lost podcasts that maybe one day we'll be able to recover. Right, which you would be know. very exciting for historians out there. We'll yeah. put them in the archives if we can find them. We're running a scan right now. To try and find them, we are recording this on my old laptop, which I still use, but this is where my podcasting career started with this machine. So it's really a, a nice sort of reminiscence for me. You're a little nostalgic for it, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah, so sure. we're going to do the episode that we had done because I think there's some stuff that maybe we missed or we want to talk about again because we're talking about what makes a good curling club today. That's right, Sean. And... You've come up with a list of five things that you think make a good curling club. Yep. I'm going to rank them as we go. Correct. Uh, in my opinion, what I think is the most important. And as you said, there were some things that came up in our discussion that we missed first time around. And so perhaps we'll be able to include them this time around. Hopefully. So let's start. And I'm going to change the order on what I gave you last time to keep it fresh. So, oh, you throw them at me. So the first thing that I think we need to discuss when it comes to a good curling club is a good lounge area. And for me, what a good lounge area is, is a nice TV that allows you to watch whatever sport is on, and especially in the winter. Now, given that there's curling on pretty much every week, there's good curling on, good screen, visible from wherever you're sitting in the lounge. Plus, and this is very important to me, being able to see the ice from wherever you're sitting. So if you're at a table with mm-hmm. the other team, your team after a game, you have access to the ice. that You can see what's going on out there. It's especially important if you're playing an early game and there's a late draw after you. Keep tabs on what's going on. Mm-hmm. Make fun of the people out there. That's usually how it goes mm-hmm. in my experience. <laughs> and that I find really important. It keeps everything engaged. It, it makes a good energy, I find, in the building. And when you're out there, it's kind of fun, too. Sometimes people just stop and randomly watch a couple shots here. I don't know. It makes it kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. It's always fun when somebody bangs on the glass and is like, what the hell were you doing, guys? Or if someone's playing ends on your game, that's uh, always a good time. Yeah, yeah. You have more experience playing ends than than uh, than I have. But, yeah, uh, I don't I'll think anyone has ever played ends on one of my games. I've been on the ice where people have been playing ends on another Sheets game, and I've played ends myself from the lounge. But it's a it's an entertaining experience, and obviously having a lounge that gives you access uh, to the ice is pretty important for this sort of thing. If anybody yes. <laughs> doesn't know what that is, uh, you can look it up. I I don't know how to explain it, and it will take too much time. So really, it's going to take thirty seconds. You get a deck of cards. You take ace through however many people you are. So if you have four people, it's just ace and two in one of each color. Every person gets a card. If what happens on the ice matches your card, you buy everyone else in the game around. Cool. And that's what it is. And if you have the highest number, it's that number or above. So if I've, if there's five people playing or six people playing and I have the three 
uh, of hearts. If red scores four, I still have to pay. Okay. So that's basically how it works. And you can do it every end or every other end. The rule is if you don't finish your drink before the end of the next round, regardless of what happens, you're buying that round. Oh. So that's the other kicker oh in the whole game. But that's what ends this. So it's really damaging to uh, your livers and <laughs> bank accounts. Yeah. So, okay, uh, lounge, I think you're right. I think it's really important. I think the lounge should be inviting not only to the members of the club, but to guests that come in. Right. I think having uh, access to the bar and having a bar area that's not too crowded is really important. And where I find sort of snaked through the lounge, which blocked off the tables from each yeah. other. And yeah, you don't want that. wasn't ideal. So uh, making sure everybody can have easy access to the bar. You're right about the TV Super important, especially with curling on. Everybody always wants to watch. Hockey, I guess, people want to watch too. Sometimes. But uh, it sort of makes it the place that you want to hang out. It's got to feel welcoming and inviting, like you want to spend time there. Exactly. And that, that's really important. I think also round tables, I enjoy more than long tables. Right, so everyone can sort of sit in more of a circle. It's easier to get conversation going. I find it's a long table. If you're stuck at the end, you can't really talk to people at the other end of the table. But in a round table, it's easier to cross talk. Sometimes, so round tables. Round tables, I prefer as well for a lounge space. So obviously, that's the first one I'm giving you. So obviously, you would have to rank it number one. So so far, Sean, I'm ranking lounges number one. All right, so let's go to another one, and this is uh, of course related to the lounge. And having a nice lounge, we made reference to the bar area, so let's go with the beer selection. Beer selection, Sean, super important to me. You've called me a beer snob many times before. and Accurately. Yeah, pretty accurately. And for me, this is super important. I need to be able to drink good beer because I can't drink a lot of bad beer. I can maybe have one, but it's... (laughs) It's not good. And if I know after the game that there's only some garbage beer, some Molson Canadian, sorry to all you Molson Canadian fans out there, but... Uh, oh, I didn't tell you we have a new sponsor this week. <laughs> oh, Sean, you got to bring these things up to me. So if I know the beer's not good, I'm not going to be as interested in staying after the game. I know that the tradition is to buy beer. We don't win a lot, so <laughs> if uh, if I know the other team's buying me something and uh, they're just going to buy me a Canadian, do I really want to stick around at 11.30? Probably not. But uh-huh. if I know I'm going to get something good, when we recorded before, I made reference to the Fat Tug available at the Victoria Curling Club. Uh, it's my favorite thing to drink when I came off the ice, a nice IPA, super bitter, really replenished those electrolytes, <laughs> and uh, I, I would always want to stay for a fat tug after the game. Right, and that's really important, that you want to have something that does foster that congenial sense of of sportsmanship or whatever it is after the game, and you want beer that people are going to enjoy. Now, in talking with Carlton, the bartender at the Rito Curling Club, one of his concerns is with a lot of craft beers, especially the IPAs, the alcohol percentage tends to be pretty high. And one of his... concerns, which I think is very legitimate, is he doesn't want to sell too many beers above 5%, because if the the tradition is people are going to have one, and then a reciprocal, then you don't want people having two 10% beers and then getting in their car. So I think there's a legitimate concern with that. I absolutely hear those concerns, and 
I think there's enough of, uh, of beers available on the market. Uh, IPA session IPAs have been pretty popular the last couple of years. Those are beers that are sessioned down to a lower ABV to allow for more consumption. Uh, it's the same thing where people were like, Hey, I couldn't crush, you know, 10 beers on the weekend. Like I used to with my yeah. Molson Canadian, and <laughs> the craft brew makers were like, okay, well we'll give you something that tastes good, but is, you know, four and a half, four percent. Yep. Uh, bottle rocket from Phillips out in Victoria is a good example. Uh, Muskoka detour is a good example here in Ontario. And those are the kind of beers that I look for in, in the curling club. I mean, yes, I would drink a 7% fat tug. But in BC, uh, you mentioned the tradition of reciprocating buying. That's not really in the West. It's, it's not, not really West. in, the, not West. in the, West. the West. So I would right. go and I would have one beer and then I would talk with my team about the game and then head out. So yeah. in Ontario uh, and, and East, I think it's a little more uh, the norm that you would have too. Mm-hmm. So I understand that concern. But uh, there's always options. There's always options. Yeah, you're right. And at some point, it does come down to the players and the people who are at the club to be responsible adults. Sure. And to not drink and drive. So there is that reality in it as well. But it is sort of this interesting thing where you, the sport does have a drinking culture with it. Mm-hmm. That's sort of part of what it is. And alcohol consumption, from everything I've read, is going down. People are more health conscious and, and these sorts of things. And especially, at least here in Ontario, was it five years ago? I think they lowered what the limit was, what the legal limit was. So there's there's a lot of concern, I think rightfully so. Rightfully People like so. Uh, MAD have done a really good job in terms of public awareness about mm-hmm. this. So this is something that clubs are thinking about and are very conscious of in terms of beer. Now, that being said, clubs are also, I think, being very aware of people like you and the sensitivity of the market to what is available. And we've seen at the two clubs we play at here locally, more so in bottles and cans, some of the craft beers, the contracts that are signed, especially somewhere like the Rito Club is still with a big national brewery, but they're trying to bring in the more specialized stuff because they recognize that if you can break even on the curling, then you're probably doing okay. Mm -hmm. And then if you can make your money off the bar... That's how it's going to work. Absolutely. And, and you know, like I said before, I'm more likely to stay if I know that the beer will be good and, and it's something that I'll want to try and want to drink as opposed to, I mean, the bar, the lounge can be the nicest lounge in the world, but if I know I'm getting some garbage beer, I'm less likely to stick around for an hour or two hours right? That rather than maybe 20 minutes, you know? Right. So they're getting more use out of the space and getting more from me as a consumer at the bar. Right. And for that reason, number one, I'm going to put beer above the bar space, sure. the lounge space. Sure. And I'll just say one more thing, too, that as clubs are trying to generate more revenue, having a better beer supply can help with rentals as well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, more people coming in. Or even, it doesn't happen often, but after work on a Friday... You want to go just have a beer, you could go to a curling club mm-hmm. and do it in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of incentive to have good beer. And I will say, too, that I like good beer as well, but don't sleep on that shandy, Scott. Oh, yeah, those shandies. Shandies. You know, uh, uh, love those things. Or a, a Rattler. I have a Rattler a few times. Chad at the bar sort of chuckles at me when I order the Rattler. Yeah, but. you know, sometimes it feels like a Rattler. And, and for me, that's more of a brunch. 
uh, <laughs> beer, but I understand. And at the end of the season, when it starts getting warm, feels sure, like, feels like a Rattler. Why not? Feels like a Rattler. Right. So you got beer up there, number one. So next one, let's go to the alleged reason we're all there. Let's talk about the ice and how important the ice is to you in terms of making a good club. All right. The ice obviously is important because when you're curling, it can be super frustrating if you don't know what one shot is going to do from from one shot to the other. You know, you throw the same line, the same release, yep. same weight, and it does two different things. That's when you end up looking like me with no hair <laughs> on the top of your head because you're pulling it out so much. So obviously it's important, right? And But I think what a club curler wants, and I think you've said this to me before, is that consistency is the key. Yeah. It doesn't have to be, you know, five feet of curl on either side. It doesn't have to be 14 and a half second dice. It just has to be consistent. Yeah. I just have to know what I'm going to throw and have the sweepers be able to know what's coming mm-hmm. to be able to judge. Yeah, and I would even take it a step further. I would say that for the club level player, having in five feet of curl is actually detrimental. Mm-hmm. People aren't good enough to do that. I'm certainly not. No. Right? I, my, my release isn't consistent enough. My speed isn't consistent enough. Like, I'm just not a good enough player that five feet of curl, like you get on really good arena ice, that's not going to be fun for me because everything is going to crash or be mm-hmm. wide or float out. Like, I, club level players aren't good enough for that on average stuff, for yeah. that type of ice. That is, it, it'd be like, I think a good analogy would be me going out and trying to play a PGA Tour level course, course. yeah. Right? I can go out on an average course that's not too hard and play from the white tees and shoot 85 to 90 mm-hmm. and be perfectly happy. Yeah, but it's you, pretty good. But if, but if you put me <laughs> out on, like, Pebble Beach in U.S. open conditions, I'm going to shoot 170. Yeah, it's and, not going to be fun. And it's not going to be fun. And I think it's a, a somewhat apt comparison yeah. to the curling ice that you see on TV. I, I agree with you. And I think what we said before was you you like to have enough curl to be able to bury a rock yes. behind so, a guard. So you want like three feet. But, Two and a half, three feet, that's fine. But also when you when you up the weight, you want it to be able to go straight so it's a little bit easier to make those hits. Yeah. Right? So uh, and if if you're able to get that at your curling club, that's what you want. Yeah. And I mean, there should be some sensitivity to release. There should be, but it shouldn't be massive. No, like, no. It, it, you know what I mean? Like, there, there, there's a level there where it can still be fun. You can still feel good about yourself by making some shots. Yeah, yeah. But it's not easy, and it's still going to ensure that the team that plays the best wins. Sure. And I, I think most of the clubs that I've played at have been pretty good. Uh, ice conditions wise, but mm-hmm. you know the great equalizer is that every team comes off the ice complaining about something. Yes, about the ice. You're right? absolutely right. Everyone and does. If you have a nice lounge to go to, then <laughs> everybody can grumble together and say, "Ah, oh, I can't believe it was falling there against <laughs> the boards," and "Ah, oh, can you believe that uh, that curl it was having there?" Or, oh, geez, boy, I couldn't get anything behind that card. <laughs> Yeah. So that that's fun stuff too, and and contributes to the atmosphere of a club, you know. Yeah. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, uh, the speed and curl in the ice is one thing, but what about the number of sheets available at a club? Yeah. So this one's interesting, and I'm biased to five. I like five. 
I've played at five for the past ten years. Mm-hmm. Since I moved to Ottawa, the two clubs I've played at have been five shooters. Different in their orientation, in that the Ottawa Curling Club has pillars and boards on either side of the middle sheet. Mm-hmm. So it's not like just one flat surface. Like at the Rideau Curling Club, it's just one piece of ice and it's just lines mm-hmm. uh, sort of in the ice that divide everything. You have a physical barrier at the Ottawa Club, so a little different. But I'm a little biased towards five. I've played at the uh, Rotana Club, I believe it was called, in Regina. It was a 10-sheeter, which was very big. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Granite Club in North Bay, and someone can correct me because I haven't played there in about 15 years, but I believe it's a five as well. And the Milton Curling Club, where I learned to play, you learned to play as well, mm-hmm. four-sheeter, four-sheeter, if memory serves. So out of all those, I mean, obviously not a lot of diversity. I've, I've been in a two-sheeter once or twice. Manatic, I think, had a little three-sheeter that I've played at. But the reason I like five is that there's enough energy out there when all sheets are full that, you know, two sheets or the occasional time in a spiel when you're out there by yourself, Mm -hmm. it feels really strange. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not a lot of energy. So I like when there's a lot of people out there. Plus, in the lounge afterwards, there's a lot of people. You get to see new folks, talk to different folks after games. You're not playing the same teams all the time. So I'm partial to five and as an added benefit when you have five sheets versus four sheets or three sheets or even two sheets you're not on the ends as much and the ends tend to be a little worse especially if there's like a fire door or something else on one of them where you can get a draft Mm -hmm. or something so for those reasons i'm partial to five yeah you you got to get the snow out somehow so you need that door which can create a draft and and uh, it's not always great so uh, I, I kind of agree with you. Five seems about right to me. I've played at the Victoria Club with eight. It just seemed like there was too many people there. Yeah, there's a breaking point, right? Especially Where? with the bar after the game. You know, you, with eight sheets, you've got, uh, you know, another 24 people trying to get drinks after the game. And so it ends up being a bit more of a mad rush at the end. Yeah. Where when you have three sheets, you're right, the energy can feel a little low. Uh, I played at the Royal Montreal Club, and that was a, a three-sheeter. Uh, the energy felt low, but on the flip side, the camaraderie was there because you did see all the same people all the time. Right. Now, could the energy have been low there because the average age is 123? You know, I uh, I got to be honest. I played on this team with two guys in their 70s that were our sweepers. Uh-huh. Holy crap. They were they getting it out. They were getting the let out. And they were quite strong and quite good. So... Uh, I, I take a little bit of umbrage right. with your characterization. Okay. Uh, the our 124 year old listeners can write nasty emails to me. <laughs> sure, that characterization. That's your. Uh, that's the demo you're trying that's to insult. That's our demo. Yeah. yeah the, okay. The oh boy, centarian and a quarter. <laughs> that's that's what I'm going for. Yeah. So so for all those reasons that you mentioned, uh, I think five is about right. But if anybody else plays at another club that has uh, a wildly different number, please write in. I'm interested to hear what the experience is. Yeah, let us know. Yeah, for me, the 10-sheeter was too big. Uh, mm-hmm. The the bar sort of lounge area is one reason. Yeah. But also there was more of an echo, too. So it's harder to hear. Like, the bigger the club is, sure. uh, there's actually acoustic issues that can affect the play. Sure. So in the list so far, you have beer one. You have the lounge too. So where would you put the ice relative to those two things? So what I'm I'm going to put the ice third, only because, like I mentioned before, even if the ice is bad, if there's a nice lounge to go to, everyone can complain about it together and then drink the good beer and forget about it. Right now, I don't want to put too much of a, a, a button on this, but we did just do a show where we largely complained about the ice. 
Yeah, but the beer was quite good. Yes, and right. the people were super nice. You're so I, right. I, I, I had no problems. Okay, so you mentioned people. That's the next one that we're going to talk uh, about. The, the people, people, Sean. We do it for the people, and that's really this is a social game. That's really what it's founded on. That's kind of the whole point. You got to mm-hmm. meet new people. Curlers tend to be fun. Not all, but tend to be. Um, Present company uh, ex, uh, included, excluded. I don't know. Whichever is worse. Um, <laughs> but we, uh, you know, I think we've all played with with people who can get a little, a little angry, a little upset, some broom smacking. Oh, whatever do you um, mean? And it, you know, it, it depends, right? You do it. I know you. I can do. I whatever. Um, but I have had some people after games sort of mention it to me. Mm-hmm. And I don't like it when I see other people do it either. So I, because my feeling is whether or not I win or lose or whether or not I make a shot or don't make a shot, my chances of winning the briar are the same. It really, it's, there's no difference yeah. in anything. Or my chance of making any money at throwing curling stones is not going to be affected You're by saying my performance. I'm not good. The beer, what I'm the beer tastes the same yeah. no matter what. So what I like are people who are just out there to have fun. No one is at work when we're playing, yep. with the exception of if you're playing with an ice maker. Um, but no one's at work. It's your leisure time. You're there to have fun. That's what I want. That's what I say 99% of curlers do. Yeah, I'd agree, Sean. And, and yeah, I, I can get a little uh, worked up at times <laughs> on the on the ice. And it's not because I think I'm going to win the briar. It's because for me, having fun means like performing something and doing something well. So... I think most of the time I'm able to park it like pretty much immediately. I'll slam my broom and like grumble for, you know, my next shot. Yeah. But after the game, I tend not to, uh, grumble too much. Right. So, uh, the people are the ones that make the club. Like you said, it's, uh, no fun to hang out with somebody after who sucks. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not. And, it- and, as long as people, when they come off the ice, are all friendly, welcoming. I think being welcoming of new players, being welcoming of everybody in the community, you know, that's a, a big thing about making the club a good club. And as long as everybody's got that spirit, uh, I'm all in for it. Have I ever uh, told you what the club motto of the Royal Montreal Curling Club is? I don't think you have. Oh, it's a doozy. It's... How social the game and how manly. Oh. <laughs> so that's good for your female members. Right. So that club was founded in, uh, I think it was 1806 or... Anyway, we'll fact check that. Somebody fact check it. It's over 200 years old. And uh, back in the, in the olden times when they came up with that slogan, it was a manly game. But the social part is the part that's still a big, big part of the game. Yeah, absolutely. And to sort of piggyback on that, I just started a job with Parks Canada where I'm dealing with heritage stuff. And I do know uh, that the Royal Montreal Curling Club was designated as a historic site in Canada because it is so old. 1807 is when it was founded. And one of the things, too, that's, that's, I think, interesting about the people at Curling Club, you mentioned this, that if someone's going to be a jerk on the ice, don't be a jerk in the lounge. Yeah, right? I mean, I, I've played with people who are like that. Well, not with, against people who are like that. And yeah, it's not that much fun during the game, but if they're okay in the lounge, I mean, I forget what happened in the game by the time I get up from the locker room anyway, so mm-hmm. who cares? So if you're fun in the lounge, 
That's all that really matters. And being welcoming to new people also very important mm-hmm. because, you know, you can go to clubs, and you mentioned this with Royal Montreal, that it can get almost provincial. Now, this is me saying this, but you said there's a lot of camaraderie because there's you see the same people a lot because right. it's a small club, but you don't want it to get to the point where it is provincial and people, new people might feel unwelcome or put off by it. Of course. You want to make sure that people are, are going out of their way to welcome new members and talk to folks. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've often wondered is whether or not clubs are doing a good enough job at welcoming people who may not be familiar with the sport or maybe new to it. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of clubs have learned to curl type programs, which is good. Uh, as Earl Morris once said to me, you don't want to have a new person just randomly show up at a club. You put them on a team because inevitably, who needs players? It's the jerk skip right. who needs players. So that player is going to play lead for a year, get yelled at, and then never come back. Hmm. So having those programs are usually a good idea. The problem, though, is and on the History Slam podcast, which I do, we did an episode about curling. And one of the things we talked about was why doesn't a curling club or, say, the Briar or the Scotties, when you look at it, why does it not demographically look like the country that I walk around in every day. Right. And there's no real easy answer to it. And I do wonder how much clubs are going out of their way to welcome and even recruit people who are not traditionally involved in the sport. Yeah, and I'd be interested to hear from some of our friends down in the U.S. who are seeing a bump right now with people interested in curling and seeing what the demographics are that they're getting out. Because uh, if if people are being inspired by John Schuster's team, they want to try curling, they want to come out in places you know, like Atlanta, like Knoxville where we were, North Carolina, uh, San Francisco. I, I'm wondering what kind of demographics they're getting in their new players and their players that are interested. Uh, it would be great to hear from them and, and just see what it's like. Yeah, let us know. And because you know, I mean, before the 2014 games, I believe it was Vernon Davis, for instance, right, was the ambassador for USA Curling or honorary team captain, some, something like that. And I, you wonder what type of effect that would have. And he was with the Niners still at the time. Mm-hmm. So you know, if our folks out in the Bay Area, they might have a better sense of what's going on they can let us know if that helped or what the demographics are because certainly in canada it's not that diverse when you go into a curling club not usually no so yeah uh that said you know making sure that you're welcoming to everybody no matter what yeah you know we've both played at a bunch of different clubs we've been new members at you know three to four to five clubs you you need to be able to feel welcome in order to want to keep playing at that club. Yeah. So where would you put people on our list here, Scott? Well, Sean, you know I love beer a lot. Yes. But I have to say people are the most important thing okay. when it comes to the club. You can have the best beers, but if I'm drinking them alone in the lounge because no one wants to talk to me because I'm a jerk or <laughs> they're a jerk, then it's not – really that fun and I probably won't stay even if it's the best beer in the world. Alright, so you're putting in people and then beer and then ice and then the lounge. People, beer, lounge. Lounge and ice. Excuse me, yes. So that's your list right now. The last thing that I have on my list to discuss and I think this is a very underrated part not only of a curling club (laughs) 
excuse me, but of anywhere, getting choked up thinking about it. This is locker rooms and washrooms. And this job that I just started, there's a locker room that you can go to. This is an absolute game changer for me that I can walk in shorts and a t-shirt and get changed there. Absolute game changer. And the washrooms are good. Now, my definition of a good washroom, and I will only do men's rooms. My familiarity with women's rooms is nil, so I can't really comment (laughs) on what makes a good women's room. But for a men's room, I want at least multiples of urinals and or stalls. I always find it uncomfortable if it's a public bathroom with one urinal, one stall. For some reason, it's almost too too small. Yeah. If there's going to be two people in there, like it's almost better to have three people than two people for some reason. I don't know why that is. And between the urinals, got to have the dividers. I think that's key. That's essential. Multiple sinks, always stocked up with soap. Yeah, and I think paper towel because you're running in off the ice. Wash your hands, which we hope everyone does, and dry them off so that you're not gonna. So they'll be a little drier faster than an air dryer before you go out back on the ice. Exactly, that's important. In terms of locker rooms, I like full length lockers as opposed to half lockers, and I like a locker room that is wide. So between the rows of lockers, you have enough space that you can have people who are at opposite lockers and they're not bumping into each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. These things are very important. The The bathroom is is often a place that's overlooked. It's funny because when you watch these shows on Home and Garden TV, right? Bathroom. Oh, bathroom and kitchen. That's where you make your money. It's where right? you sell your house. And if you go into a curling club and you, you see, oh, the bathroom hasn't been done in 50 years, what the heck are they thinking? That's kind of important right absolutely and uh, i agree with you i would say the urinal is like sort of important not that important i would rather have multiple stalls okay if i'm choosing one urinal multiple stalls i'm fine with that yeah and uh that's because you can uh use the stalls for whatever purpose you uh see fit and uh, and you're right about the paper towel because when you come off the ice real quick, oh, geez, I got to go. I'm trying to wash my hands real quick. The air dryers are good, but inevitably they won't dry your hand off uh, quite as well. So you want to be able to dry your hand and then get back on the ice just in time for you to have missed sweeping and start shooting. That's my ideal. <laughs> <laughs> I I absolutely agree with you there. Now, all that being said, where would you rank this? In terms of your overall importance for a club. Well, Sean, I, I think if you're doing it right, if you're doing life right at the curling club, yes, you're spending the least amount of time of your entire experience in the bathroom and in the locker room. Okay. So, But you could also make a case that you're spending the most important time in those two locations. Well, I mean, that's important, sure. But if I'm only going to spend five minutes of my curling club uh, life per week in the bathroom uh-huh. uh, i'd say it's less important than the lounge where hopefully i'm spending an hour okay to two hours maybe the locker room seems same thing you know okay i can deal with getting changed in a cramped space and then getting out it's not ideal but i can deal with it and i would rather have to do that than have to deal with suboptimal ice conditions and for that reason this is going at the bottom of the list. Okay, it's going. Number five on the list here is locker room. So your final rankings there, Scott, 
you have people, number one. You have the beer, number two. The lounge, number three. Ice floor, locker rooms, number five. Now, Sean, did this change from what we did it last time? I thought ice was above lounge last time, to be honest with you. I can't mm. remember, but which I think is why I made that mistake earlier. Uh, but who knows? Who if, knows? If we ever find that episode, <laughs> we can we can actually cross-check that. So in terms of other things that are important to a club, we've talked about management. I think management is really important. Management is key. It's key. Yeah. You want someone who, who knows what they're doing, who is good with the members, who is responsive, who can find sources of revenue, whether that's sponsorship, other rentals, being proactive with bond spiels, whatever it is, mm-hmm. that they're good. I like a manager who supports the the youth programs as well. I like clubs that have Learn to Curl and Little Rocks. Little Rocks programs, yeah. Because for me, the Little Rocks just gives more teams into it, right? At the Rideau Curling Club, for instance, you yeah. see in the Cash League or in the Mixed League, uh, not so much with the Men's League, but you can see kids who have come through Little Rocks who are now 15, 16, 17, 18, right, high school kids who are going through and playing in these leagues. So it gives you new teams to play, and it, it just helps replenish the membership, which is always a good thing. Same thing with Learn to Curl. You get people, say your kid, if, if you get the kid in with Little Rocks and the parent hasn't played, they can go to Learn to Curl. There you go. And, and you can get new members that way. So I like the proactive part of that. I think it also makes it feel more like a community than like a club. Yeah. Where you get new people coming in all the time. Yeah. And I think that's really all in the manager. Yeah, it really is. It's really important for the manager to foster that uh, that initial sense of belonging, which then hopefully the members take over and help that uh, new person feel more welcome at the club, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And the uh, another thing that we should probably talk about that's important to a lot of people, not so much to me, a little bit to you, would be parking. Right, parking. Yeah. Uh, how good is the parking situation at the Rideau Curling Club, the Ottawa Curling Club, any sort of urban club? It's always probably more of an issue than in suburban clubs mm-hmm. that have a little more space for parking lots. But it's something that people talk about a lot, at least in my experience, is having access to parking, especially in the winter when it's snowing. And in this city, if you have to do street parking, yeah. which you do around some of the clubs, they remove snow at night from the yeah. banks when it gets too high. So that can limit your availability. So there there can be some tension around parking. Yeah, sure. Parking can be an issue. And, I mean, I drive most of the time, I would say, to curling just because it's faster. And I've never really had a problem parking. Sometimes, you know, I loop around the block a couple times. I can't find anything. Oh, I'll pull into a pay parking lot if I have to. Right. If I'm running late. It's just a matter of knowing to take a few extra minutes. That's... uh and that's fine with me. Uh, you know, if you're coming for Little Rocks with your kids, yeah, maybe you want to be able to park a little bit closer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, it's not been too much of an issue in my experience at the urban clubs at which I've played. In Victoria, with our membership, we could buy a pass to the Savon Foods uh, lot or, or one of the other city lots. So uh, there's usually options right. around. And if not, uh, hopefully, if the parking is no good, you're at least able to take some public transit. Here in Ottawa, the transit line is, it's fine for both of the clubs, I would say. It's good enough. It's good enough right now, yeah. And, and for other clubs, it'll get better 
hopefully they're building a, a light rail here, yeah. which is scheduled to be open in November. That's after it was scheduled to be open uh, right around now, I think, was the initial uh, the initial date. So mm-hmm. if that ever gets up and running, it will make the system more efficient. Sure, and and in Vancouver, you know the the SkyTrain, the the Olympics uh, line, the Canada line, mm-hmm. uh, it stops you know four or five blocks from from the new Vancouver Club uh, in Victoria. There's some buses. I don't know. <laughs> Nobody in Victoria, I think, takes the bus. Sorry, Victoria. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, in most urban places I've been, the bus or or rail system is okay for getting to curling and. Uh, that, but but the location has to be a place where it's desirable, I think, to go to the yes. club. Yeah, that's a really important thing, right? You want you don't want people to have to sort of be at the end of the bus line, right? Sort of a last stop situation. So yeah, that that's an important aspect as well. And another thing is we've played the last couple of years, and I've played for the majority of my curling career at paid staff clubs. Mm-hmm. So that means that. Bartenders are, are paid. There's the two clubs that I've played at here in Ottawa. There's a kitchen staff where you can get food before mm-hmm. or after your games. Kitchens tend to close once this late game for the evening has started. So if you're there for the late game, you can have dinner before. Early game, have dinner after. The ice is all done by paid staff, even between games with mm-hmm. doing the, the pebbling, all that kind of stuff. That I I like. I know there are a lot of clubs that are volunteer-based where you, uh, as a member, you have to put in a certain number of hours, whether it's doing catering for a bonds field, working the bar, doing some ice stuff. Mm -hmm. I know the Milton Curling Club, where our parents played for a long time, they would have to sweep the ice after the game. Yep. And those sorts of things. There's pros and cons to both. Mm -hmm. I'm used to the paid staff model, but... I, I don't know if I would say that that makes any sort of difference on the overall experience. No, and, and over, I guess obviously the advantage to a member run organization is it keeps the costs down. Yes, it's a little cheaper. You're not paying staff full time to be there. Yeah. That said, at the Royal Montreal Club, we did have paid staff, but we still did our own ice in between draws. Right. And that was just because we couldn't have the staff, the ice staff there to do it for three sheets once. Yeah. You know, didn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. And since I had done ice before, I sort of spearheaded doing doing that uh, most nights. So uh, as long as the people are willing to put in a little bit of effort, then I don't think uh, there's anything wrong with it. And those clubs tend to run pretty smoothly as far as I know. So, Yeah, and in terms of we talked about the people creating an atmosphere. If everyone's there pitching in, doing their part, right, right, it can help out a little bit too. It makes it more congenial, and everyone almost has like an ownership stake in a sense in the club. There's maybe more pride of membership because you're contributing to the spiel or, or the club and what's going on. Exactly. Now we should say, Scott, too, that this, this whole list, pretty much our whole discussion, has been predicated or based on the idea of. Standalone curling clubs, dedicated curling facilities. Mm-hmm. And we know that a lot of our friends in the United States don't have dedicated facilities. So some of our discussion may not apply to them. Things like if you're in a, a hockey arena, for instance, things like a dedicated lounge may not exist 
there and you don't really have control over it. The ice, right. you would get a lot of the clubs that we've we've been to and had the pleasure of meeting folks from, they tend to get the ice about 20 minutes before or after a hockey game or a figure skating and they do a flood and then they have to pebble over that. So you don't have really any control mm-hmm. over the ice and certainly if you don't have a lounge, beer selection, you can't do anything about that. Either locker rooms, hockey locker rooms are very different from what a curling locker room sure. would look like. The only thing that really is a, a direct parallel are the people. The people, yeah. And that is the most important thing. And that's why it's the most important thing because it's universal no matter what setup you have. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'd be curious to hear from some of our American listeners and the folks, for instance, we didn't ask this in Knoxville, nor did I ask this to the folks in Pittsburgh when I played there last year. So I'd be curious to know. If you're at a hockey arena that, say, doesn't have a bar on site, is it a situation where I know liquor laws in Canada and the United States are very different, and even state by state, Mm -hmm. they can be incredibly different, just like here in Ontario versus, you know, a mile away in Quebec, very Mm -hmm. different. But do people bring stuff? Do you hang out after? Do you go somewhere else? I'm sort of curious as to how the, the social aspect of it works when you're not in a dedicated facility, you don't have access to a site where you're playing to hang out like that. I'm just curious as to how that could work because, as we've talked about, the only thing that's really important or the only important thing that we've really talked about that has anything to do with the games is the ice. Yeah, yeah. And And otherwise it's the facility, so. You're right. So, yeah, maybe there's some leagues that have sponsorships with certain restaurants or bars that they go to after, you know, similar to... Here in Ottawa, we play softball, and we've got a deal with Royal Oak yep. that if we go after, we can get some nachos. So, you know, uh, yeah, you're right. I'd be, I'm curious to know what what other clubs do uh, as well. Yeah, and I know a lot of arenas because I played hockey growing up that have multiple sheets of ice. They will sometimes have bar type areas on site for you know the the parents either before or after the game or for those beer leagues <laughs> of the guys come up after the game and certainly at the University of Ottawa the hockey facility there you could go to the draft pub yeah. uh, which was nice cuz during exam season they <laughs> take the ice out put some chairs down and you can watch the students take exams and you may or may not be able to create a game and gamble <laughs> on some of the what happens in an exam room that's funny that's funny i was there last week and i Every other time I've been there, it had been exam time, Yeah, and I'd never seen the ice in. <laughs> so I saw the ice in, and I was confused because it was so hot out. But uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good place, you know, where the there is a pub attached. Yeah, so. right there. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and if you're unlucky, like I was, you teach in a, bit, in a room literally right behind the draft pub. So, you know, <laughs> I'm very familiar with that that building. So let us know what you think about our list, what we got right, what we got wrong, and, and our American friends or any if there's I'm sure there are clubs in Canada too who don't have dedicated facilities. Uh, let's not sort of presume that every curling club in Canada plays on dedicated ice. So let us know how it works at those facilities. And speaking of which, Scott, we have to give a shout out to our friends in the Bay Area who are in the midst of their campaign to get a dedicated facility. Yeah, yeah, it's a great campaign. Uh, DedicatedIce.com, I believe, is the website. Yeah, so Nick Hoffman got in touch with us on Twitter to let us know about that campaign. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's at DedicatedIce.com. You can go there and read about what they're trying to do and also help uh, by giving a donation towards making this happen. 
Yeah, so that's a club that has been playing on the hockey ice looking for a dedicated facility. I joked with Nick on Twitter that the Bay Area doesn't really need any other reason for you to go there. (laughs) But if you were at all curious about getting to the Bay Area and playing there, you know, if, if, if you could get out there. They have a spiel every Memorial Day weekend, the Golden Gate Bond spiel, I believe it's called, and that is the weekend after Victoria Day uh, every year up here. So a long weekend down in the United States that they play at, and they're hoping that next year that that Bond spiel is being played out of their new facility. Yeah, they're they're looking to get there, and uh, I'm just reading right now they're up over uh, four hundred fifty thousand dollars. But obviously, this is a super super expensive thing to make happen. So uh, get on there. I'm going to click donate in just a few minutes because I am not very good at multitasking. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're very much committed to uh, this, and hopefully. They get their ice done, and uh, we can make a trip out. That'd be great. I would love to do an episode out in the Bay Area. Only been there once. Oh, it's beauty, eh? Very much enjoyed it. Oh. Get out. Uh, of course, it'll be, for for me, perhaps contingent on the Giants being home that weekend. But hey. But hey. Hey, know. and any of our friends out there, uh, Cellar Maker Brewing. It's my, uh, one of my faves <laughs> out there. Fun place to go meet people. New brews all the time. And some damn good stuff. Yeah, so. so shout out to the guys out there and to Nick and the whole crew. Good luck with the campaign. Uh, and keep us up to date as to how it's going for you out there. We're certainly rooting for you. And we'll keep tabs on the dedicatedice.com. Uh, we also have a correction that we have to mention, Scott. Dan Hazlitt got in touch with us to let us know that we have been repeatedly making the same mistake without correcting ourselves. And that is our repeated claims that Jean-Michel Menard is a world champion. Yeah, who knew, right? Who, I guess he's well, not. Well, Dan did. Dan knew. Uh, Dan, Dan, Dan knew. Dan, Dan, Dan uh, pointed it out correctly to us. But I think it's because we just really wanted him to win the Worlds. that, And we just have uh, put it in our mind that he did. I listened to uh, Malcolm Gladwell's uh, episode of his podcast today, and it was about how our memories uh, change over time. So right. uh, I think that's what happened to us. You know, it's been... It was a really uh, traumatic event that happened when he lost the final, and we've yeah. just changed the events in our head. So, you know, our bad. But yes. uh, but we thank Dan for letting us know. I joked with him, too, saying that, yeah, we just were rooting for it to happen and very much wanted it to happen. And he said he was actually a volunteer at that event and got to see it up close. And, right on. Uh, so back, yeah, 2006. So he, uh, thank you for that correction. So we will no longer claim that Jean-Michel Menard is a world champion doesn't change for me that I would have him in the fantasy briar. Oh, I, I still yeah. think he's the pick for Quebec, uh, but he did not win the world championship there. And, and also just a quick shout out to Peachtree Curling as well. They're a bond spiel. They have two every year, one in October, one in March. And that's another one, Atlanta, Georgia. We've never been oh. to Atlanta, Scott. It's on our list for baseball. We do have to get there. Now, neither of these overlap with baseball unless the Braves make the World Series. Oh. So, uh, you know, maybe that could be a thing for that October scale. Well, they're having a good run right now, and Double uh, A is trying to get them there. So you never know, right? Yeah, so, uh, so we'll see what happens with that. Hopefully we make it down to Atlanta at some point, but uh, and good, it, good to hear from them. Yeah, I met one of their members there at the, uh, at the event in Knoxville. I can't remember her name, but uh, it was really nice talking to her for, you know, probably 10 minutes about uh, what they're doing down in, in Atlanta. So mm. uh, just outside Atlanta, I think to the northwest, 
So well, Atlanta's anyway. huge. I mean, Atlanta, I've, again, I've is, never been. It's a huge place. It is actually pretty close to the new Brave Stadium. Right, so. which isn't actually in Atlanta. Right. It's a whole other other thing. So thanks to everyone for getting in touch. We we like to hear from everyone, so so please feel free to get in touch with us on Twitter or via email. Hope you all liked that Knoxville episode. That has certainly been the one that we've got the most feedback from over all of the episodes we've done. So we love hearing from you and keep it coming. So just a quick recap here, Scotty, of you, what makes a good curling club for you. Number one are the people. Number two is the beer selection. Number three is the lounge area. Number four is the ice. Number five is the locker rooms. Again, the ice, the reason we're all there. Number four. Yeah, yeah, it's not that important. Yeah. As much as we grumble, it's not that important. So, uh, so thanks for listening. Apologies for the delay this week. We should be back on our Wednesday schedule, our Wednesday summer schedule next week. Hopefully the issues with the tablet get resolved. We're working on it. Uh, it was very unfortunate, but uh, we appreciate the patience. If you have not subscribed to the show yet, please do on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever it is you get your podcast. You can give us a like. You can leave us a comment. Let us know what you want to see on the show, especially through the summer here as we're sort of doing these types of more evergreen episodes and just talking about the world of curling in general. You can find the show on Twitter at Game of Stones Pod. The email is Game of Stones Podcast at gmail.com, so you can hit us up there. Scott is on Twitter at ScottLikesTV. I'm on Twitter at Dr. Shawnee Fever. And until we talk to you again next week, keep your brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final...